Welcome everyone to the REST podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with our COO, Mr. Stephen Prophet, and the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Thank you, Natalie. Thank it's you, Natalie. good to be here. Of course. I thought it would be good to just mention that the first few barriers to healing that we discussed were lies. We tell ourselves, we believe about ourselves and others, and fear and shame. I think we covered those two themes during the course of the last two podcasts. But today, I wanted to give Stephen an opportunity to share some thoughts he'd put together, and then we'll talk about some of these things. So we'll start off with anger. I mean, this is such a a broad topic, and there's a lot of research that shows that anger is the emotion that we carry in our body most intensely. We know that what affects the mind and the heart affects the body. What affects the body affects the mind and the heart. We know these things are so interrelated in Virginia in your reconstitution model of healing, in your philosophy of rest. I mean, you work at these intersections of body, mind, heart, spirit, and First, I just wanted to ask you a question because you talk a lot about the difference between feelings and emotions, Mm -hmm. and I think we see those as interchangeable. We use those as synonyms. And when you talk about that, how would you describe the difference between a feeling and an emotion? My observation has been that emotions are a function of the limbic system. They are an action. They're the consequence of feelings, specifically pertaining to the word anger. I deal with a lot of trauma and I deal with a lot of people in chronic pain or chronic states of disease, battling various diseases. And I find that once we get to the root cause Mm. of, for example, anger, everything begins to unravel. The barriers to healing begin to unravel. For example, a person, a child who's been molested from the age of eight on, becomes an adolescent, going to high school, and then they go into college. Their behavior is often addressed as, I'm trying to, I don't want to be, speak disparagingly, but there's all kinds of adjectives to describe this young girl, let's say. Selfish, inconsiderate, mm-hmm. self-absorbed. Aloof. S- aloof, slutty, all these different things. And that child may feel, not may, more often than not, feels very angry. Yeah. And they can't even identify the source of their anger. Yeah. Because they don't even remember the root cause of their behavior, which is early childhood sexual trauma. Yeah. So they feel all this anger and this frustration. But underneath the anger that they emote and the frustration and the reckless behavior is the root of a broken heart, a shattered soul, shame, unworthiness, self-loathing. Because the person is feeling the anger towards themselves and the world around them. And until you begin to unpack the root cause of that anger, which is the pain and the shame and the self-loathing and all that that came from this childhood trauma that oftentimes they're just feelings that are buried alive. And they don't even, they can't explain their behavior often. But they know that's what they feel. 
So it becomes very difficult because we judge people sometimes by what they emote yes. without pausing to consider what's behind that. Yes, that's such a great insight. In that way, I think anger is a mirror that can show, reflect, help us understand these underlying feelings that are driving that emotion. And I'm thinking back to a conversation, Natalie, that you and I had where we talked about how, what are those feelings underneath mm-hmm. anger? Yeah. You know, those feelings are betrayal, mm-hmm. pain, sadness, grief that are finding expression through anger. I read a book recently called How We Love by Milan and Kay Yurkovich, and they talk about how anger is the only non-vulnerable emotion. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think it's no accident, for example, thinking about narratives of masculinity in our culture, how anger is one of the few acceptable emotions for men to express because we're socialized to believe that vulnerability is weakness, anger is non-vulnerable, and so therefore permissible. I'm thinking about this insight by an author named Susan David. She talks about how emotions are data, not directives. And so Mm -hmm. what is the data that anger is giving us? When we see anger showing up in our lives, we see anger showing up in the lives of people we love, how can we follow that anger down to the root? You know, how can we unpack the layers of feeling underneath that anger. I think betrayal is a huge driving force of a lot Mm -hmm. of anger that we feel. I resonate with that personally. I remember a period in high school uh, where I felt really angry toward my parents, my dad, my stepmom, and I'd be really irritable. I'd come home late at night after doing all these activities and they'd say something to me and I'd just be reactive and I'd Mm -hmm. say something snappy. This went on for a while and I remember my dad coming into my room one night and saying, hey, if this continues, you're not going to be able to stay here. Like it had gotten that bad where I was just kind of consistently reactive, irritable. And as I look back on that period of my life, I realized that I was negotiating the trauma of my mom's absence. She left when I was six and I had stored that trauma in my body, but never had processed it. And here it was, my body was trying to give it expression and I didn't understand that at the time. I, I couldn't unpack those layers. I didn't have mm-hmm. the emotional resources, the language to understand that that's what was happening. But as I look back, I see that I had these deep-seated feelings of betrayal by my mom that I was sort of taking out on my dad and my stepmom at home. And hearing you say that makes me just compelled to share something. Therein lies the beauty of relationships. Because when we see people in these destabilized states, whether it's our children, our husband, our spouse, or our friends, to have the strength and courage and patience to say, wow, I can see that this is not like you. I can see you're not well. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it? It may be no for right now. Well, when you're ready, I'd love to hear. But these are opportunities to really unwrap what's happening in the soul of another person. I also want to say too, that not only is the root cause of it betrayal and pain, but I noticed as well, and this is very common in men too. And I've spoken to multiple male friends of mine who have had to deal with this, where they actually would turn to anger as a form of coping and as a form of keeping other Mm -hmm. people at bay to keep themselves from being hurt again or betrayed again. And so they end up sacrificing a lot of relationships, whether it's romantic, whether it's familial, they turn to anger as their initial response for everything. That's why it's a barrier to healing. Exactly. And we can't 
just accept it as a norm that that's just what guys do. Yeah. No, it's destructive to yes. them and to relationships. Yeah. And it's and, and we need to have courage to say, hey, this is not productive. What's going on? Yeah. I mm-hmm. saw that in my own life during that period in high school where I was using anger as a form of emotional armor. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the myths that I kind of want to bust about anger is that we could hear this conversation and think that anger is inherently bad or that anger is an inherently unhealthy emotion. Mm-hmm. And I think anger has not only a permissible place, but even an essential place in our healing process. And that can sound counterintuitive because you think, well, gosh, if we're using anger's emotional armor, how can it be a healthy part of the healing process? And I think that's where we really want to kind of follow anger down to the roots because let's say, for example, the feeling underneath the anger is betrayal. Our sense of doing right by one another has been violated because of what that person did to us right? We're feeling that sense of betrayal. And when we have been deeply hurt and wronged by someone, there is no healing without giving space for anger because we are grieving the damage done, the loss of trust and intimacy in the relationship. We're grieving the disillusionment about who we thought that person was. And so anger is part of that grieving process. We're Mm -hmm. probably all familiar with the five stages of grief. Anger is one of those stages. And we know that in grief, we never experience those stages in a linear way, right? right? Like we cycle back. So it might start with denial, mm-hmm. then move to anger, then bargaining, then double back on denial and back to anger. And so it's messy. It's nonlinear. There is really no script for that. But I think the important thing to know is that there is no grieving the harm that was done to us when we've been wrong and the pain that caused us without giving space for anger. When we've caused pain to someone we love, there is no healing for them or for the relationship without giving them the space mm-hmm. to process their anger. You know, hearing you address these things reminds me of a message I heard years ago about what real love looks like. Because I think when we have to negotiate these complex emotions and unwrap the complex feelings behind them, I think it always comes down to our highest goal is to be loved, to love, and to love well. Yeah. And the most beautiful passage on love I've ever read is 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah. And I reference it often because I heard that incredible message. And the speaker asked, what is the antithesis of love? And I thought about that for a little bit. And there was a big pause. And he said, it's not hate. And the antithesis of love is self-love. So I can't love well if I'm so wrapped up in these complex feelings and they emote in ways that are counterintuitive to what I want. They're not productive. It's necessary to reconcile those things within myself. Because for me to love well and to be safe, I have to resolve these conflicts within myself. Yes. Because if not, I, be, I sabotage the very thing I need and I want. I know you're going to talk about that a little bit. But it's wonderful to understand that really our capacity to give and receive love is really predicated on our capacity to reconcile the conflict that we often have within ourselves. Yes. And I want to lean in that, on that for a second because... When we talk about giving space for anger, that doesn't mean that any way we want to express our anger is a healthy thing. 
right? And That's so right. going back to the author, Susan David, she wrote this book called Emotional Agility, absolutely fantastic book where she talks about when we feel emotions, we want to show up to those emotions. We want to give space for them. But part of the process of healthy emotional expression is to process our emotions and express those emotions in ways that align with our deepest values. So if Virginia and I get into a conflict and I'm feeling anger because I feel betrayed about something that was done or how I interpreted something that was done, it would not be loving to her if my core value is compassion, empathy, love, and I want to show that in my relationship with Virginia it is not consistent with those core values for me to simply lash out at her. So giving space for my anger doesn't mean lashing out. Giving space for the anger means that I'm journaling, I'm praying, I'm processing it with a friend, I'm finding healthy ways to show up to my emotion, to process that emotion. And then when I come to the conversation with Virginia, I am engaging that relationship in accordance with my deepest values. Mm -hmm. And everybody needs to do that. And everybody's going to do that differently, right? But I think that's one of the beautiful things about being human. We have the resources to do that. We just need to have these conversations and learn what those are, how to access them. And Stephen, you and I have spoken about this at length, but I think as we step into these places of rest and reconcile these things within ourselves, right? Yeah. And we remind ourselves and align ourselves again with the highest convictions of our own conscience. We can show up to deal with all the barriers to healing, the lies, the fear, the shame, and in this case, anger. Yeah. And I know we're going to also talk about unforgiveness as well as a barrier to healing. Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot about forgiveness just culturally, not just in an ecclesial context, a church context, but even broadly in personal relationships. I mean, anyone who's been in a deep, intimate personal relationship for a length of time would talk about how necessary forgiveness is. There was a conference years ago where this man who'd been married for four decades was asked, what is the most important quality for a healthy relationship? And he said, forgiveness. That was his first most important quality for a healthy, deep relationship. And I think one thing to ask is, what do we actually mean by forgiveness? Because is forgiveness just letting bygones be bygones? It's not a big deal. Is it forgetting? Is it forgetting? These are a lot mm -hmm. of ways that we kind of play with that term and we throw around forgiveness synonymously with just letting the past be past. But I think anyone who has really been wrong knows that if by forgiving we mean overlooking, that's not true forgiveness. That would be the first thing to say is that forgiving doesn't mean minimizing, downplaying, overlooking the offense that was done. And one of the best writers on this topic that I've ever come across is a writer by the name of Tim Keller. And he, he uses this example. I'll paraphrase the example. Imagine that you broke my $500 guitar. There are only two ways that the damage done to that guitar can be repaid. Either I ask you to give me the $500 that is the value for that guitar, or I absorb that debt myself. I accept it as a cost to myself. And so in the Jewish and Christian traditions, forgiveness is described as the canceling of debts for this very reason. 
because in relationships, what's taken from us is not a guitar, but it's peace of mind. It's happiness. Trust. It's trust. Our reputation. And when those things are taken, we have these two paths. Either we ask that person to repay. So if you damage my reputation, I'm going to ask you to repay by trying to damage yours, by undermining you as a way of emotionally punishing. If we understand forgiveness is the canceling of debt, what we're saying, and this is how Kelly describes it, forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you. And that always involves suffering. Because if you hurt me, if you damage my trust, you take away my happiness, my peace of mind, I'm losing sleep, I'm in grief. Either I am asking you to repay that by emotionally punishing, by being reactive, Mm -hmm. or I am voluntarily accepting the emotional cost and forgiving you, letting Mm -hmm. go of the right to seek repayment for what you've done. So forgiving is most definitely not overlooking the offense. We're taking the offense seriously and choosing not to demand repayment from the person. A perfect example of this as it manifests in, in our bodies often is life is a series of all of these transactions, lies, fear, shame, anger, and unforgiveness. This is just part of the economy of our lives. Yeah. And oftentimes, I think these transactions happen in complex ways that we don't always detect or they become so natural and they're so common in our lives that we can't even tell the difference. So one of the things I'd like to point out is, by way of example, we had a wedding last weekend and my mom came into town. I haven't seen her in a little bit from Virginia with my family. And I was surprised at how quickly she'd lost weight. Mm. And I could see that, that her her entire constitution changed significantly. Mm. And when she showed me her knees, arthritis had mm. just ravaged her body. But it began in her right knee. And as I began to probe a little bit about the root cause of that, the right side is represents the male. Well, first of all, arthritis is an infringement trauma, something that I feel that my body has been devalued. Mm. And so I knew there was a devaluation conflict, and it was because it was the right knee and the right side. I knew it had to do with the male. And immediately I was thinking about the last decade or so of my dad's life, how difficult he'd become Mm. and how much he was suffering and how he treated mom. And they've been married many, 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 many years, but nevertheless, the, the relationship wasn't what it had been perhaps most of their life. And the second part of her body that was affected was her elbow. And the elbow has to do with vocation, with work. And she had helped raise all of the grandchildren, my sister's kids in Virginia. I asked her what had happened in the last year that could have triggered the onset of this disease. And they bought a new home. And so she moved out of the home where my dad passed and where she'd been raising the kids for the last 10, 15 years. And so that was the triggering event for the disease. 
usually 12 months before the onset of something like this, there was a triggering event. And in fact, that was it. So they got settled in another location in Virginia, Virginia Beach. And my mom's joints swelled. Mm. And it's because of that emotional conflict. Mm. She loved my dad very much, and he loved her, and they had a long marriage. And, of course, raising the grandkids was a lot of work and helping raise them. They were all homeschooled and whatnot. My sister doesn't do anything halfway, so it was amazing. But it was a huge life shift in lifestyle. So she loses a lifelong partner, Mm. and then her vocation's finished. So what happens? Complete devaluation. And what's life now going to hold? And realizing this is the sunset of her life, so what happens? The disease states come in. It was interesting. I did Evox with her, and immediately she felt the relief in all her joints. Mm. On the right side? On both. On both sides? Yeah. And then, of course, I spoke to Dr. Cowden that we're going to be doing some podcasts with on some of these physical ailments that manifest as a result of anger and unforgiveness. Now, coming back to my mom's situation, of course, on no- numerous occasions, reconciled the anger and spoke about it and all that. And of course, she worked through forgiveness in as much as she could access. Mm-hmm. But the compounding unconscious and subconscious yeah. consequence of this, the body keeps the score. Yes. And I think that's what's valuable about these conversations. There's only so far we can all go in conversation together that we can talk through. Mm -hmm. And then there's other things that people need to face. Within themselves. Within themselves. Yeah. Because the root of the lies she believed about herself and about her value and her worth and fear and anger and unforgiveness, although they had a measure of expression, yeah. There was something deeper that goes way, 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 way back. Yeah. Beyond perhaps the relationships that they manifested in. Yeah. So I just wanted to give context because this is a good example of how these dis-ease states and these feelings, these barriers to healing can manifest physically. Yes. Yeah. Well, and forgiveness, and you're talking about it in regards to relationships and not mm. forgiving people. It's also not forgiving yourself. Yeah. Totally. For things, because yeah. we violate our own conscience mm-hmm. more often than other people violate our own mm-hmm. conscience, right? So showing forgiveness not only to others who wrong us, but also to ourselves. Exactly, because even in the case of my mom, yeah. it was the times she didn't speak up about many things. And I think we all do it to some extent. Yeah. And I was working with several patients this week and one specific client, and it isn't that they didn't understand or hear have context they just couldn't find the words to express those things yeah yeah so when we can't find the words and we don't reconcile these things in our spiritual life or psychologically because there's been too much trauma it's going to get flushed out Mm -hmm. and it'll find expression in the body and so i want our listening audience to just be encouraged that whatever situation you're dealing with whether it's emotional or physical or any disease states that we're living in a time where we can trace the emotional constitution of these things yeah. to help bring you wellness and healing and freedom. I always say, right, healing is about freedom. It's not about chasing the cure. It's about freedom. Yeah. And my sweet mom looked at this Evox report. We had called Dr. Cowden, who nailed it in a matter of two minutes. And we 
unwrapped the mystery behind what happened in less than five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's exciting. It it, is. We're living in exciting times. And something that I actually want to ask you to clarify a little bit mm-hmm. for those listening, you mm-hmm. mentioned how you knew that it was connected to a male because it was on the right side of mm-hmm. her body. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people are like, wait, what? How in the world does that correlate at all? So would you mind explaining that really quick? We're going to get into that in later episodes. I want to make sure Stephen has time to finish up as he wanted to. But for example, breast cancer is very common. Yes, We know that it has to do with unrest in the nest. Mm-hmm. The breasts of a woman serve multiple obvious purposes. If it's of the woman's right-handed and it's the right breast that's afflicted, mm-hmm. we know that it has something to do with a male. First of all, because it's a, if she's right-handed, dominant. It dominant, and it's going to be the right breast. If she's right-handed and it's a left breast, we know that it has something to do with children or something related to mothering, nurture, care. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then that would be either but, be mother right. or children. If she's left-handed, however, it shifts. It's the other way. Mm-hmm. Got it. But by and large, when we see conflicts, physiological conflicts on the right side of the body, they have to do with a male. Mm. And the left have to do with female. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. There may be other organs that cross over like that, but right now the breasts come to mind. And did we talk about the physical manifestation of anger carried through life? Yeah, liver. We find that when we're dealing, the liver is like the mother of the body, right? Mm-hmm. It handles all kinds of processes and the function that the mother has in the home in Chinese medicine. They say that the liver has... It wears many hats. Yeah, wears many hats. And when we see someone with liver cancer, we know we have to go right to unresolved anger, Mm. root of bitterness. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's more complicated, but overall, that gives you a good gauge. And we're going to do a whole podcast on this, Dr. Cowden and I. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this reality that the body keeps the score is why it's so important to really unpack the layers beneath anger to... You know, really sit with feelings of bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness mm-hmm. that we might be harboring because, mm-hmm. I mean, that has a real physiological effect. Yeah. And in my work with Virginia, one of the insights that I've really been sitting with is that in the busyness, the noise of our lives, you know, we can spend our days trying to outrun or distract ourselves from feelings that we don't want to sit with, but we can never really actually do that because the body always keeps the score. It'll speak to you. Yeah, it'll speak to us. And so diving into, you know, these emotional constitutions, trying to understand what forgiveness is and isn't, what role anger has in the process of healing is so important, not just for mental, emotional wellness, but also for physical wellness too. And so when we're talking about forgiveness, we talked about how forgiving is not overlooking the offense or taking the offense serious seriously, choosing not to demand repayment from the person. I also think something that's important to mention is that forgiving is not trusting. Those are different things. To forgive someone does not mean that trust is restored because forgiveness is freely and unconditionally given, but trust has to be earned. And it's never emotionally healthy to give someone trust that they haven't earned. And so when we are forgiving someone, we are perhaps open to the possibility 
of trust being restored, but our forgiveness of that person for the offense does not mean that we are trusting that person. And I think that's a really important distinction to make because forgiveness is not conditional upon whether that person takes responsibility or apologizes or seeks to make amends because forgiveness is emotional work that we're doing, choosing to let go of the felt need to demand repayment. But trust is fully conditional upon that person taking responsibility, apologizing, and seeking to make amends. And so forgiving is not trusting. And that's another important distinction where I think things can get muddled. The only thing I would add to that, if I could, that you might want to clarify, everyone is on their own, is on a very complex journey, dealing with complex things within themselves. And I would say, I would caution our listening audience to be careful. Because I heard an old proverb, it's a Chinese proverb, I think, an enemy is only someone whose story you don't know. Mm. And although we can choose to forgive, but we don't trust people, that's a really delicate balance. And I think we need to be careful. And I know where Stephen's coming from, it's from a deep place of deep conviction, but it's also from a place of love. And I don't want that to be confused by the intensity with which he's saying something. Because I can be in a relationship with someone that I don't necessarily trust, but I don't not trust them because I don't love them or because I don't see their value. I perhaps don't trust them because I see that there's a lot of barriers that they have not yet overcome. Reconciled within themselves. Right. And I want to be sensitive to those things, not judgmental. And so I think we need to be careful when we say, if this person hasn't earned it, right? And I know that's not what you were saying, but I want our listening audience to be careful because the same process you're going through in dealing with these barriers to healing, you have to extend people the grace to do the same thing. Yes. And that's very complicated. Absolutely. So to just not grandstand on, no, I don't trust you because you haven't earned it. we got to be careful how we think about that. Something that I wanted to touch on really quick and A lot of people wonder what that kind of looks like to live in a place of unforgiveness because a lot of people Mm. think, of course, I've forgiven this person, but there's something that came to mind and it's that lie of I deserve. Mm. And it's someone saying, well, I deserve for them to repay me. I deserve for them to show that they are truly sorry. And, And it literally goes into that holding a grudge over somebody and yeah. acting out of this place of, no, you need to repay me in order for me to forgive you and holding them three. ransom. Yeah, I think it's the it's three lives. Three. I want, I need, and I deserve. And right. that's what I would caution people. I just think in a short period of time, we're discussing these big themes and I want to give them the respect they deserve. And it's impossible to discuss the complexity of all these things in a short time. Yeah, But I think if our focus and our aim is to love I think we can confront these barriers to healing within ourselves and then do so with grace with each other. Yeah. And to circle back on that note of grace, I think this is why forgiveness is such a courageous, brave, and ultimately difficult, painful act is because if you break my $500 guitar, I am owed $500. As a matter of fairness, as a matter of equity, as a matter of justice, you break my $500 guitar, You owe me $500, right? Mm -hmm. The same is true emotionally. When someone has harmed us, wronged us, this is why forgiveness is so courageous because I am owed an emotional debt by that person. 
which is why forgiveness is, as Keller puts mm-hmm. it, a voluntary form of suffering because I am choosing to absorb that emotional debt myself exactly. as an act of love, as right. an expression of grace for that person. And how many people have done the same for us? Yeah. Yes. How many things have I broken in another person yes. and of another person? Yes. And I think that's where... We find emotional fuel to extend grace, seeing the grace that we've been extended. Mm -hmm. And I guess the last thing that I would offer is just forgiveness is not an event. Yeah. It's a process. Yes. Right? And it's a lifestyle. It could take us months, years. We choose to forgive day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And forgiving is grieving and grief has stages. And those stages are messy and nonlinear. And that takes time. And that's okay. And we need a circle of people that we can process those emotions with. We're showing up to our feelings. We're being honest about those. But we're still choosing to lean in on the brave process of forgiving. And so we make that choice, but it's not a one and done. That's a process that we undergo, and that can take a lot of time. And so, yeah, of course, these things are complex. These things are messy when you're in a relationship of any depth, what it means to forgive, what it looks like to forgive, what boundaries are healthy when there has been an offense, how to extend grace, how to reconcile. I mean, these are, of course, complex things that we could say countless more things about. But for our listeners, we just wanted to begin mapping out an understanding of the role of anger in our healing process and how it can be a barrier. And what forgiveness is and isn't and how essential that is in our relationships for healing. Yeah, I just want to remind people that the most powerful, the most powerful decision we ever make is to love people well. Yes. And that means that we extend them the same kind of grace because we understand the brutality of the process of reconciling these barriers to healing. Yes. And sometimes we can err on the side of thinking we've arrived in some of these things, when in fact, we never arrive. And I think I just want to say, as we probably conclude this, to just remember that it's love that has a transformative power to heal all things. And when we love, we have the capacity to set aside what we need for the welfare and the good of another person. And of course, that's a broad statement, but there's a lot of discernment that happens in between. I think we just have to remember to extend other people grace to go through the process of reconciling these barriers to healing and do so remembering to love, do so with integrity and never losing sight of the great value that these people have, that the other person has, that we have as human beings and just not to lose sight of the things that are sacred about our common humanity. Well, thank you, both of you, as we close out this episode. Thank you. Thank Thank you, you, Natalie. Of course. All right, everyone. I wanted to say a quick thank you to those who attended our afternoon of rest at the villa this past Saturday. It was wonderful to have you. For everyone listening, if you missed that event and wish you had attended, don't worry, because our next afternoon of rest at the villa is on October 16th. Also this week, our first 40 days of rest online intensive came to an incredible close. Thank you to all included. For those who missed, this six-week intensive will begin again October 28th and run through December 9th, with a break for Thanksgiving, of course. 
You can find all of the details and register under the events tab on our website at virginiadixon.com. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you would like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. Make this weekend an incredible one. Mm -hmm.